Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm o- I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. Um, I've had my parents and my sister in town for the last little while, and it's been lots of fun. Mum um, and dad visiting from Australia, and uh, Nikki, my sister, visiting from Beijing, where she lives. And they've been staying up in the city and catching the Caltrain down. And they actually started listening to the podcast. And so every night, I, I come down. For, well, they come down for dinner, and we have a discussion about something that you and I have been talking about, which has been fun. So our listeners want to know where do they fall on Apple Watch. <laughs> so mom thought this is hilarious because she's like, you were talking about me on the podcast. And she made a, so this isn't really fair because she's my mom and she's naturally going to support me. But she's like, I don't have my phone with me. The watch wouldn't work, would it? I don't have my phone. I was like, yeah, okay. Mom, I, I, I agree, but I don't think I want to get back into this right now. The last time I talked about it with someone, it was a drawn out, knocked down, bang on argument. But yeah, point taken. <laughs> Did she have her phone with her when you were talking? No, she didn't have a phone. She's like, I'd, I'd have loved uh, to. Have had, yeah. So anyway. Uh, well, uh, I, I, will, I will choose to not insult your mom. Um, Thank you. Which I think, I think is a positive choice on my part. <laughs> Hi, mom. Uh, yeah. And, uh, well, of course, if she didn't have her phone, then she, uh, well, she's not, she doesn't have a U.S. bank, U.S. credit card. So she could not try out Apple pay, even though she no Apple pay though. What about that? <laughs> well, uh, I'm a, uh, it's, I actually think it's a, um, there's the big brouhaha this week with, um, so Apple pay launched a, a, a little over a week ago mm. and, um, and works very well uh, where it works. Um, a couple retailers, uh, most uh, notably Rite Aid and CVS, the, the pharmacy chains, uh, turned off NFC in their readers uh, because they didn't. They wanted to stop Apple Pay. And, turned off NFC altogether, or just yes, for Apple? No, the, 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 which is a very interesting point. We should come back to in just a moment. Um, turned off NFC altogether, and uh, now they are because they're a part of this consortium called uh, MCX. And basically mm. it's a bunch of retailers. It's, it's, it's really powered by Walmart. Walmart's behind it. The Walmart's payment guy, a guy named Mike Scott, is like kind of thought as the de facto CEO of, of MCX. Mm. And they're pushing an alternative payment solution, which will be app-based and Q, QR code-based, uh, and which will rely on a direct connection to your bank account, not, not credit cards, as an alternative. Oh. And so it's thought that they want to prevent Apple Pay from getting traction because they would prefer their solution take over. So that's kind of the, the the broad contours of what what's been happening, and it's been fascinating. It's really like it's almost been dominating the news for going on nearly a week now, which is really interesting. I mean, it's earnings week. There's 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 stuff going on, um, but uh, there's there's a lot there's a lot to unpack here, and uh, I definitely think not not just with Apple Pay and MCX specifically, but about the nature of payments in general, the way right. things work. And not just that, but even at a more fundamental level, uh, how change happens. So I would love to, um, I'm, I'm very worked up about it. I've been in a Twitter debate on it for the last like three hours. Mm. Uh, so mm. I, would, I would love to just dive, dive deep on it, if that's okay with you. Let's do it. I used it for the first time during the week, actually. Uh, oh, yeah? Tell oh, yeah. Um, Whole Foods or Whole Paycheck as it's affectionately known in the, in the Valley. I don't know how to walk out of that place without having spent less than 20 bucks. Like, it's I so true. Like- you, you go in to buy one thing and you walk out and how on earth did I just spend this much money? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it was, 
It was painless. I just, you just pick your phone up, you put it in front, you put your thumb on the phone and it's just, it's, it's like, wow, this is really the way it's meant to work. The only thing that was kind of surprising was, so I was buying my groceries for the week and I think it came to like 60 bucks and um, they made me sign on the, on the pad, which I was like, okay, you've got my phone, you've got my thumbprint. It seems a little redundant to make me sign as well. And it, it made it a like, if, if they hadn't made me sign, I'd be like, oh, wow, this is just insanely cool. And then they made me sign. It's like, okay, crash back down to earth a little bit. Um, but by and large, I think it works really, really well. So I basically, yeah, basically now it doesn't require a signature, but it allows a signature. So that's up to the retailer. They might want to have that just as what? additional additional yeah. location, which is which is ridiculous because they, like, they don't have a card to look at. Like, what are they going to compare it against? Right? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems it definitely. I, I suspect that that's just kind of a, a vestigial organism from uh, yeah from the previous thing that will go away over time, especially once like retailers get comfortable with with the security of Apple Pay, presuming that the security you know lives up to its billing. Um, but yeah, it is, it is allowed, but not required. So that, that was a whole foods decision. Mm, no, but, uh, by and large, it was painless. And I was just like, I, I, I walked out. I mean, even with the signature, I was like, wow, that was, that was painless. That was pretty cool. And there's, there's going to be one day in the not too distant future where I don't need to carry a wallet around with me anymore. Well, that's the question because for that day to arrive, it needs to be universally accepted. Yeah, and a, a number of players need to be lined up and get behind, uh, get behind it for that to happen. And I'm guessing that's where we should go in terms of discussing this. I wrote about, um, I think, still a very relevant article. Um, I wrote about payments uh, in last spring, uh, basically talking about why it is that that payment initiatives often don't get nearly as far as kind of the hype suggests that they will. Mm. And the big problem is that there's, well, there's two fundamental problems um, when it comes to, to innovating in payments, especially in the U S this will be mostly a U.S. centric discussion just because um, I think we're both pretty aware of differences around the world and we might bring that in, but mm. just Apple Pay is only working in the U S right now. Uh, let's, unless we say otherwise, we're talking about the U S and then I, I suspect we'll bring in, regional differences at some sure. point. Let's do it. So basically the problem with innovating with payments in the U S is there, there's two routes towards innovation. So route number one is to, is to roll is to build on top of credit cards basically. So this is what square has done. Uh, it's what Apple pay is doing. Um, and the problem here is that there just isn't any money to be made. Because the credit card, there's there is a there is the fees associated with credit cards, and this fee is um, there's the interchange fee, and then there's uh, what's called assessment fees. So the assessment fees are where are where Visa and Mastercard make their money, which is it's about it's about point one percent, a little more than point one percent. It's not it's not that much. It's about um, and the bigger the, by far the biggest proportion of it is the interchange fee. So this is the fee that banks charge each other basically to to process these transactions. Mm. And uh the the actual fees are set by Visa and MasterCard, but it's the banks that are actually making that are make that are driving income from this. So uh then that that can that's about 1.5% plus 10 cents per transaction for Visa, I think. 
Um, so, so just just let me clarify this for people who aren't familiar. When you where where do the banks make the money? So they make it between each other. Is it when is it between the bank on the terminal for whom you're swiping the card? Is it between the bank, the merchant's bank, and the consumer's bank? Which where do the banks actually make the money on that interchange fee? Yeah, sorry about that. I kind of spiraled into way too much detail for a podcast. So basically, what happens is the merchant swipes the card. The machine goes to the merchant's bank. The merchant's bank asks the customer's bank for the money via Visa and MasterCard. Visa and MasterCard charge a small fee for using their network. It's about Mm 0.1%. Meanwhile, the customer's bank charges the merchant's bank. So the merchant bank is paying the interchange fee. And of course, the merchant bank turns around and charges the merchant. So at the end of this, all the fees are being borne by the merchant, Mm. not by the customer. So it's... They're reasonably substantial, right? Uh, it comes out to be about between two and three percent on an average purchase. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on a, on a hundred dollar purchase, it'll be two to three bucks. It's it's significantly higher for uh, American Express. I think it starts at three point five percent, which would be. Wow. Three, um, but that's why you get all the perks of being an American Express member. It's also why American Express is accepted at fewer places because yep. it's significantly more expensive. And American Express is different also in that American Express is a bank. So they're they're not a Visa and MasterCard are networks that connect banks. Uh, American Express is a bank. So if you're an American Express member, they are the bank and the network all all in one, uh, mm. interfacing directly with the merchant. Got so it. so that's why even though their share of transactions is much smaller, their um, I think their market cap is higher and they're they're they do a lot more revenue um, hmm. than than Visa or MasterCard. So. Uh, so that's and and obviously in the very long run, the fees that the merchant has to pay go back into the cost of goods sold, which right. means customers are ultimately customers are paying the price. Um, and uh, you know well, we can talk about how this really upsets some people um, and why. Well, we can talk about it in a little bit. So the the problem though is if you want to innovate on top of this, like Square for example, uh, Square is charging two point seven five percent for swiped cards. So mm-hmm. on a Visa or, or MasterCard, uh, Square is making a very small amount of money. Uh, on, like a, on like a $50 purchase, they're making like 43 cents or like 80, 86 cents on a $100 purchase. Uh, on an American Express purchase, they're actually losing money. So if you use an American Express card in a Square reader, uh, Square is losing money on that transaction. Wow, I didn't know that. So the problem, though, is they can't really charge more than that. Uh, them charging, you know, them charging the two point seven five percent is is already more than if the merchant were to set up their own merchant account, which is called, and, and set up their own accounts with all the banks. Uh, that's where you you get the you pay the exact fee, right? So Square is already charging more, and their people accept it because of the convenience and ease of use and all the things you get from using square, but they can't really go past that. Otherwise people are going to start. It's not going to be worth it. And these fees add up a lot. So I mean, Forster, as I've written a couple of times, Forster Checkery, by far my biggest fee, my biggest cost is credit card fees. Like mm-hmm. I paid thousands of dollars at this point in credit card fees. And, um, and that's something that it, it increases on a marginal basis. Like every single charge I, I have to pay. I have to pay for it. It's not like that's the part that's not like an internet business, right? It doesn't scale, mm. scale yep. like, like like the internet business does. So, um, so that's that's why Square's struggling, right? And 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 obviously this is where Apple Pay comes in. And what makes Apple Pay more compelling 
from an innovation standpoint, looking from a business perspective than Square, is that Apple doesn't need to make money on Apple Pay. Now, they are chart, they are making a little bit of money. We can get into how they manage that later. But the, in broad strokes, it, it's not their business. It's a complement to their business. So they can continue making money on iPhones. Apple Pay can create iPhone lock-in and Apple benefits, even though they're in this super low margin, like thankless business. Mm. Interesting. So that's number one. Now, the other way to innovate is to uh, create a completely new payment system. So this is where PayPal has focused for the most part. Yes, PayPal does accept credit cards, but there's a reason why it's really hard, like it's buried in the U- in, in the UI. It's because PayPal uh, tries to facilitate direct transactions, like basically bank to bank, or I mean, a PayPal account to PayPal account at best, but you know, mm-hmm. bank to bank. And there's it's because the, the, the transactions here are, are way, way, way lower. Um, and so there's a lot more headroom from a margin perspective to to make money. The problem here is there's no pre-existing network in place. When you build on credit cards, everyone already carries a credit card. So it, the, from day one, Square worked for everyone. Uh, on day one, PayPal did not. Now to PayPal's credit, they've built up a, a pretty impressive network. But anything else that comes along, including this program, this MCX program, um, has to build it from scratch. So this is this is where the MCX comes in. What Walmart et al are trying to do is they want people to sign up for this program, and they want and you can't use credit cards with it. You have to sign in with your bank details, or I think at most a debit card. Um, and the reason is the the they're called ACH fees um, for you for a bank transfer is something like four cents per hundred dollars or something like that. I, I I wrote this I wrote this all up in a daily update this week. I don't I'm, don't have it in front of me, but it's it's a very tiny it's a very tiny cost, which leaves which means they can theoretically collect all that margin. The problem is they need to get consumers to use it, and so that's where this app comes in and enabling mobile payment. And theoretically, like it's, they say, well, automatically do all your loyalty program stuff. So you get the lower prices that come with loyalty programs. It'll apply coupons automatically. Like that's kind of the pitch for consumers. But at the end of the day, the entire purpose of MCX is to help retailers escape these credit card fees. Mm. Makes sense. So big picture, the reason why it's hard to innovate in payments is one on the credit card side, it's just hard. It's hard to have enough margin. And yeah. on the non-credit card side, it's hard to get the network effect working in your favor. And, and so that's why payment solutions in general have failed in any payment solution. Why did credit cards become popular? Like credit cards face the network effect, right? Merchants had to have terminals to accept them. People had to have cards. Like why did they, why did they succeed? The reason they succeeded is because the Delta of improvement of credit cards over checks was, was, or cash was huge. They were so much better to use. They're so much more convenient. They were so much more secure that it was worth the trouble of getting that network built out. Mm. And this is kind of the critical factor in figuring out whether any sort of innovation is going to break through. Is the delta of improvement sufficient to overcome the pain of implementation? And a lot of things that seem like a great idea and sound very interesting fall down on this. The delta of improvement just isn't enough to get the critical mass necessary to to have success. Absolutely. I'm still with you. All right, well, I will continue monologuing then. No, now please. No, it's to. interesting. I think giving people an understanding of how this all works is critical before we get into the discussion. 
and you've done a really good job of explaining it so far. Sweet. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, so that's where we're at today and that Apple becomes along. So the first brilliant thing about Apple pay that, you know, was obvious. I, I mean, I think, uh, I, I anyway predicted that this would be the case thing. Most people did was that it worked on top of the credit cards. And this is because, uh, the, you have the built-in network. Again, Apple doesn't need to worry about making money. It just, it, they get all the advantages of building on top of the pre-existing infrastructure and they're not really bothered by the disadvantages, which are primarily cost. So that's, that's factor number one that makes Apple pay um, really interesting. Now, the reason I was more, the reason I was more skeptical about Apple pay or thought Apple would be more of a long slog, at least in the beginning, was I was under the impression from day one that merchants needed to uh, actively enable Apple Pay. Right. Um, and I knew, obviously, there was going to be, the there's, all, there's for sure the physical requirement, but that's, sorry, that's, so number one, Apple built on credit cards. Number two, Apple used NFC. Again, yeah. not very an Apple-like move. Why not iBeacon? Why not all this sort of stuff? Well, because that would require infrastructure. By using NFC, that that's already an industry standard. And Oh, by the way, in October 2015, there's gonna what's gonna happen is called the the liability shift. Basically, right now in the U.S., we use this antiquated magnetic strip and signature for for credit cards, and um, whereas most places in the world use chip and pin. Where mm-hmm. the, and so the, why this matters is because the magnetic strip, the information of the magnetic strip never changes. So if you capture that, you have the credit card. Whereas the way a chip works is every time it's used, it changes. So in, the information that's captured from a chip can only be used once. So they're, they're inherently, they're much more secure than, than a magnetic strip. And they're, they're, if you use a pin, you have an additional form of authentication that's much stronger than a signature. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's a superior technology. Why has it not taken off in the U.S. until now? Well, again, it's the Delta thing. The U.S. was first to credit cards. And they were first with magnetic strips and signatures and they got everywhere. And the U S is a really big country and there's a lot of like little retailers all over the place and everyone in the U S uses credit cards. And if you don't accept them like your toast. So the, the issue is they were everywhere and chip and pin while it's clearly superior from a technical standpoint, the Delta was not great enough for, for it to kind of get critical traction mm. and for people to adopt it. So that's why the U S the U S is behind in payments today because previously they were ahead. If that makes it's, sense. It does. It's interesting to contrast this with Australia because they decided the banks decided that, that, I mean, the, there's a big advantage to the, to the, for the banks to have chips in the credit cards because it dramatically reduces fraud. I think one of the big differences between Australia and here is that the banks own all the terminals in the merchants. So it was in the banks, like the banks updated all their terminals to accept PIN. And because they were integrated across the credit cards and the terminals had a way of pushing it. Whereas my understanding is in the US, the terminals are operated separately, aren't they? Yes, the you, you, you buy them separately. And so right. it, it's a totally separate thing. And yeah, it's where, no, you're, that's, exactly, that's exactly right. And the other thing too is in Europe, I know uh, it used to be that um, fraud was much more prevalent in Europe than it was in the U.S. And so that's the, and so uh, again, I don't know the situation in Australia for sure, but in Europe, it very quickly um, was adopted because the fraud problem was worse there. And mm. what's happened over the over the last decade is all the fraud has moved to the U.S. because it's less secure. 
And so it's reached a point where the banks have had enough um, and there's just been enough, you know, force moving in this direction that what Visa and MasterCard have mandated with the support of the banks is starting in October 2015, there will be two parties in transact. Oh yeah. So sorry, one moment, just to back up a second. The Mm. issue in implementing this is not just the terminals. It's also the the credit cards themselves, the actual physical credit cards. Right. chip enabled credit cards are more expensive. So banks weren't really that gung ho about it either. What's changed is the banks are now for the same reasons as Australia. They're very gung ho about it because there's been too much fraud. They're losing too much money. And so now the banks are in favor. And, and so what basically Visa Mexico said, they can't make people upgrade. But what they've said is starting October, 2015 between the customer, between the bank and the merchant, whoever has the least secure item in the transaction is liable. So what that means is if the merchant, if the customer does not have a chip enabled credit card, the merchant can accept it, but then the customer's bank is liable for, for fraud. On the other hand, if the merchant, uh, if the merchant uh, does not have a chip reader, but the Mm -hmm. customer does have a chip enabled credit card, the merchant's bank is liable. So basically the idea is to provide a very significant financial incentive for all those merchants to go out and buy new credit card readers and for all the credit card and all the banks to issue new credit cards. Um, And the idea being that, you know what, they will jointly, everyone will upgrade all, all around the same time. Hmm, Very interesting. I didn't know that was coming down the pipe either. Well, what's interesting from the Apple perspective and them using NFC is, uh, I, if you're buying a new payment terminal, might as well get one with NFC and, and, and most of them will, but now there's a very strong incentive or much stronger incentive to do so than it was previously because a merchant go to the store. Well, here's a payment terminal. Mm. I'm making these prices up. I don't know how much they are. Here's a payment terminal for a hundred dollars. Here's one with $120, but supports NFC. Oh, but then I can, I can accept Apple pay. And so there, and so everyone's going to be buying new ones. And now there's a reason to buy one that, that will accept Apple pay. Now to tie this back, I think you're about to make the point that you thought Apple pay was actively opt in, but it sounds like it might actually be automatic. This is the big, this is the big news of the weekend. And this is why like I've become significantly more optimistic about Apple pays prospects is the reason Apple pay worked at CVS. And the reason why CVS had to, had to not ban Apple pay, but turn off NFC is that Apple Pay, to use the term, just works. If there is NFC, if there is an NFC-equipped terminal, Apple Pay will work. The merchant does not need to opt in. And this is critical. There's, there's study after study and data after data that the opt-in versus opt-out mm. makes a massive difference. Even though the choice is the exact same, if it's opt-out, the vast majority will not. And if yeah. it's opt-in, the majority also will not. So the the defaults matter, and they matter significantly. And Apple has implemented Apple Pay in such a way that the defaults work in their favor. Uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't know. I, I mean, I read about the uh, opt-in versus opt-out thing, and the power of defaults is something I absolutely believe in. 
What's interesting to me in all of this is how many of these merchants do you think are actively going to start opting out? And the other question, and I'm not sure you know the answer to this, I'm not sure anyone knows the answer to this, is it possible to block Apple Pay explicitly while still leaving NFC on? Uh, It seems like it's not. Um, again, I don't know that for sure, but that's, that, that's, it's, that seems to be the case. Um, again, like I, I didn't realize until this week, I don't think anyone really realized that it was opt-in versus opt or the, the opt-in opt-out angle. Um, so there's, there's still details to emerge here, but from what I understand and looking at the fact that, uh, CVS at all basically just turned the whole thing off, um, certainly suggests that you can't just block Apple pay. Uh, you have to disable. So I, I think that's going to be pretty critical because if they can't block Apple Pay um, specifically, then if if they want MCX to, they have to turn NFC on for MCX to work. And if they have to turn N- NFC on for MCX to work, then Apple Pay will work. And why on earth would any consumer use MCX when they could use Apple Pay? No, that's not true. Um, MCX, oh, okay. uses, MCX uses QR codes, not NFC. Ah, so so it's an app. So it puts a display on the screen and, and well, it puts a QR code on the screen. And- yeah. Yep, or on the merchant screen and like you take a picture and then it goes huh. up to the cloud and does all this sort of stuff. And ah. um, basically there's a really great TechCrunch article. TechCrunch got a hold of the, like the application is in beta or in like a private beta, but TechCrunch yep. got a hold of the application and did kind of a walkthrough of it and how it works. Um, so we'll definitely put that in the show notes. So check it out. But basically it's a multi-step process. It's take the phone out. It's unlock the phone. It's open the app. It's get the QR code. It's go up to the cloud through your own data connection and like it, it's five or six or seven steps long. And this Plus goes link back your bank account too, right? Right. And you have to have already signed up um, and have, and basically it goes back to the previous point, like the, the Delta of improvement for customers, which is basically zero. Um, I mean, oh, I can more easily implement coupons, I guess is the, is, is kind of the big benefit. The Delta improvement to customers is minimal. The pain is massive. Like the, the in the shift in behavior is massive versus just pulling out a credit card. I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's honestly like kind of mind blowing that anyone thought this would ever work, whether Apple Pay existed or not. Just using a credit card is so superior to this that that's not. It, it, so it blows so my if I was, yeah, I mean, I agree, but I do see them having one way out. If they're saving two percent in order to, uh, if they're saving two percent in order to do this, that at, at least it's not. I don't think it's a long term strategy, but at least in terms of getting people to adopt in the short run, one thing they could do is offer the consumers those two percent, that two percent upfront. So if you use MCX, you get two percent of your transaction fees back. We'll give you a two percent discount on your purchase. Now, over time, as you get more and more people signed up, you can lower that number. People are signed up, the form, the habit. But that, in terms of like a strategy of actually getting, like incenting consumers to use this, given the amount of friction involved versus Apple Pay, given the fact they're fighting the credit cards, the one lever they have to pull is to give more value to the consumer. Like the the money they save in credit cards, just offer it straight to the consumers. So that that makes sense from one perspective because that's a way to incentivize consumers. The problem, there's two problems here. 
Mm-hmm. One is that defeats the whole purpose of the, of the program, right? Because you're not, the whole point is to earn that money. And yes, I get your point that maybe you'll get customers used to it. And then they'll, once you take that benefit away, they'll keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's possible. The other problem though is uh, I, I've, the Walmart, this is actually came from Walmart, which is interesting because they're, they're part of the program uh, or they're the, the genesis of this is uh, every second, every second, every additional second, not minute, every additional second, it takes customers to pay at a Walmart store at Walmart stores collectively costs Walmart $12 million. So basically if their average time to pay is 37 seconds, if their average time to pay again, across all their stores increases to 38 seconds, Walmart just lost $12 million. Mm. And, uh, and, I can't see any, and if you think about the process required for MCX, uh, it's going to take at least twice as long as a credit card. I mean, if not three times as long, and there's going to be times where it doesn't work. You're going to get bad data. I mean, look how bad data always is in these big box retailers. Mm. You're not and have a connection to the cloud. It's going to fail. You have to go back to a credit card. You know, explain people are going to figure out how it works. Like it's going to cost them a lot of money. In this this money comes from cashier's wages. It's going to cost mm-hmm. them a lot of money to do this, which means if they want to give the re, the only reason they would do that, Walmart measures this stuff like crazy, right? There's no more optimized comp- company in America. The only reason they would do it is because they see the savings as being worth it. But the, then the question is going to come up: how, like, uh, how if they're giving the money back to the consumers, then they're actually losing money in the entire enterprise. So you're looking at the cost side of the equation. Help me, there is another side to this, which is the data side. And they give up part of the thing that I, do. how much data do they give up when they use Apple Pay? Like what data would they be able to capture about consumers that they lose because they're using Apple Pay? So this is obviously the the, the other a- angle, but um, when, when you pay, they capture they capture a lot of data. They, they, they can track what you pay. They can compare that against your credit card. Um, if you use a loyalty program, they get that much, they get that much more information and which is very valuable. They can use it both internally. They can sell that data, all, all that, all that sort of stuff. We talked about in the Facebook Atlas thing, like all your data mm, from your purchases right. being sold back and forth. Um, so that, and whereas if you pay with Apple, you don't, they don't get any data. They can't really, they, they don't know anything about you because you're using these tokenized things. It's, it's all totally anonymous. And um, so that do, would be my assertion, though, then, that the reason they're not focusing on the cost side, they're focusing on the revenue side. I mean, I've, I remember reading this New York Times article, I, th- I think it was by Charles Duhigg, about the data that Target captures and how it uses that to, um, to, pr- to make predictions on consumer behavior. And so, for example, that you get these Target coupons in your mail, and it, when you receive it, it looks like the same coupons that everybody gets except that they know you, they know your name, and I'm assuming they can capture that from your credit card. And when they send it out to you, they, like they look at your purchase behavior and they say, oh, based on these small changes in purchase behavior, it looks like these life changes are happening. Why don't I send you these coupons? And, and, and they, send them to, they send them to people at, at critical life stages when things are all being mixed up right before habits start forming. And and some of the data and some of the predictions they're able to make are absolutely insane. So I, I, I there was a vignette about Target sending um, a set of coupons. This was before they, they realized that they shouldn't make it, they shouldn't 
they shouldn't make it too customized. They should just make the coupons look like they're the same coupons as everybody else. They sent a bunch of coupons out to uh, like an 18 or 19 year old girl who lived at home saying, oh, you're pregnant. Um, here are some um, appropriate baby products. And the dad opened the mail and saw this and, and like got really angry with Target. Like I think he contacted customer service and it's completely inappropriate. You're sending me your daughter, my daughter this stuff. Why are you doing it? And they're like, sorry. And it turns out actually he then had a conversation with his daughter and she was pregnant. No, I, I, that's absolutely a case, but the, the solution then for the retailers is the status quo. Like the, the, I'm not sure that MCX really gets them any more information than they would have now. And which kind of makes me wonder if the whole point of MCX is just to muddy the waters so that the status quo prevails. Mm. Like that, I don't think that they're going to get any net realistically any more data than they already get, which as you noted, is a tremendous amount. No, um, but they don't, they don't lose any data under MCX. And I mean, I imagine that there's a presentation floating around these corporate offices by people who are, I'm going to be a little unkind here, who are maybe a little bit out of touch from reality. And some Walmart executive comes in and says, we'll let like Apple Pay is coming along. You're going to lose access to your data. Sign up for us. We'll let you keep all the data. Plus we'll give you your 2% bank fees yet. And these guys haven't thought it through from the consumer's perspective, from the same level of depth that you've gone through in explaining how ridiculous this is from a consumer perspective and how nobody else is going to, nobody in their right mind is going to go through the process of signing up. And all they see are the headlines and they think, well, that's great. Let's sign up for this. No, I, I, I agree. That's the most likely outcome. I'm saying if we want to give uh, the MCX consortium credit for being crazy mm. like a fox, uh, the credit would be that by basically having this out there, they can uh, just make it so that nothing changes, right? It's like, oh, we offer MCX instead of Apple Pay. And like, well, MCX sucks. Well, hey, sorry. Well, you can still use your credit card. And it's like, oh, okay, fine, I'll just pay with my credit card. In which case, the, the system stays the same. Now, it's important to note, MCX has been the works for a few years. So it's not proper to characterize MCX as a reaction to Apple Pay. Um, in fact, there, there's, I mean, there was a, there was an interesting quote that I dug up from like last January from one of these retailers basically saying, oh, we don't know if people want to pay with mobile, you know, it's pay with their phone. Hmm. How likely is that? You know, again, like just a couple months before Apple pay comes out and, uh, they, they, I suspect it's more on the, just people stuck in a spreadsheet looking at the short term impact. Um, but there, I mean, there, there's, there's a more charitable, charitable uh, interpretation here that that's that's cool well the other, one other thing is on the privacy thing um the apple is promoting the privacy angle but it is worth noting that the credit card companies themselves sell data like that's that's where if you want like most retailers keep it proprietary if you if you just want general data about consumers and their buying habits you can go to the credit card companies or companies affiliated with the credit card companies and get that data. So how granular does that get? Is well, that uh, down at the level of individual or is that, is it kind of anonymized and rolled up? Uh, well, I mean, I think theoretically all of it is, is somewhat anonymized and rolled up. Um, 
I, I, I don't know. I don't know the specifics. Uh, sorry, I, I asked you. You gave such a good description of how the banking industry worked at the start. <laughs> I, I feel like I can ask you any question no, and I, give I me should, the answer. I, I should, I should know that better. That's the charitable interpretation of this whole MCX thing. Um, I tend to agree with you that the reality is, and it, it's honestly, it's just really kind of infuriating. Like it's infuriating as like a business person because this is the just like epitome of of everything that's wrong about business today and business people and MBAs and all the, those sorts of nasty people. Um, like Be specific and- about that. Yeah, no, I know. Like you and me, I know with <laughs> like the MBAs, I, I like the MBA stuff rolls off my back, uh, back like a water off a duck's back now. Like I, I'm beyond caring about it, but no, tell me, be specific about what it is you don't like about it. I'm curious. So there, first off it's, What's, what's annoying about it, it's not just the kind of like principled objections, like, mm-hmm. oh, sell, you ought to think selling data or collecting data is wrong, or you ought to make a better experience for your customer. It's that their work, it's bad long-term thinking, and it's bad long-term planning. And what I mean by that is uh, any re- like anyone who, who has a long-term perspective, like, say, Amazon – who I will, you know, I will criticize Amazon for all kinds of things, but I won't, they certainly have a long-term perspective mm-hmm. and are very, you know, you know, customer-centric in a lot of ways. Amazon's credit card supports Apple Pay, even though Apple Pay is a big threat to Amazon. Why, why do they do that? Because they know that, that greasing the skids of transactions matters more than anything in retail. Like the easier you make a purchase, the more money you will make in the long run. And, and again, in the long run. And so I, I feel like the, these, these retailers get stars in their eyes about all this money they could save. They could save with MCX and they, and they don't think about the fundamental psychology that, that purchases will increase the easier that the, the easier that they are. Yeah. I hear you. I, I mean, I thought that, so I, I mean, and I, and I agree, but I thought the merchant reaction made perfect sense. I, I've come around to viewing data as increasingly important to the way that businesses operate. And we should link to that that Duhigg. I'm pretty sure it's that Duhigg article on how, on what Target does yeah, and the extent they've gone to, to to like build up these profiles. They have this massive data science team figuring all this stuff out. It's a big part of their business, and a lot of these retail stores, they're they're getting increasingly. There's an increasing. Their offering is becoming increasingly commoditized, and one of the ways that they're trying to differentiate is data. And if you believe that's true, then this Apple Pay coming along and um, uh, removing the ability for a company like CVS or whoever to track. Um, purchases to an individual is actually a mortal threat. And as much as you can save on the cost side, you, you, the costs are great, but everyone's going to have the cost knocked out. It's actually more important to focus on the top line and ways of growing that. And data for a lot of these retailers is becoming that way. I want to have a good obje- objection to you, but you're right. I agree. So, I, I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, from a consumer's point of view, having used it in Whole Foods, I think it's amazing. I love it. Um, I understand why the credit cards love it. Um, I think the banks are being a bit short-sighted, 
Yes, like, that, yes, that's the other angle. Yeah, the banks are being very short-sighted, just tripping over themselves to sign up. But um, I think the merchant reaction from a from a rational point of view actually makes a lot of sense, and it's frustrating as a consumer. And I agree that well, you know they would save money, but I kind of understand why they're doing it. So this is what's interesting um, from a the merchant perspective is. The only, um, and this is this is why it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, the only people th- who have the capability of of differentiating themselves based on their data targeting collection are the really big guys, mm. right? And it, it's uh, a you know Target, Walmart, the like these these this CBS. level of retailer, right, exactly, which has, you know, thousands of locations all over the U.S., right? right. They can invest in this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is uh, th- that's not really something that's a top of mind or even remotely on the horizon for a ton, the vast majority of mm-hmm. little guys, the long tail. And for them, I think there there will be very, potentially very real benefits from greasing the skids in transactions, from reducing their time and fees spent processing payments. And so it, it, it'll be, especially with this program being opt-in versus opt-out, you asked, you know, do I think many people will opt out? I, I suspect the only ones that will opt out will be the big ones, like mm-hmm. who have a vested interest to do so, who have kind of the wherewithal to to analyze deeply the question if they should or should not opt out. And now I guess, you know, you made your point so eloquently, I feel guilty about bagging on, on MBAs. Um, hmm. it's a very, it's a very good point, but there's all these other guys, all these little retailers, all these little places who are going to need to buy new terminals and might as well accept Apple pay. And it, it will be fascinating if that's the way that that penetra- penetration starts to really, um, yeah. roll forward. Yeah, it, it will be fascinating. Normally it's the case that you expect these big technical innovations to start with the big guys and then eventually to filter down to your local corner store. I, I think your your point is is exactly right. That this this will be interesting because it's yeah, it this this is the case where it actually might be Apple Pay. You get used to using Apple Pay at the local coffee shop and and it's it's you try and use it in CVS and they won't take it because they want your data. So this is what's interesting about the, so the the reason why Apple Pay is by no means a home run or a slam dunk or whatever analogy you want to use is uh, what what would be the equivalent Australian analogy? Uh, uh, hit a six. Let's go with cricket. They've hit it for a six. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Um, <laughs> Roll so with it. The, <laughs> The reason why uh, Apple Pay won't necessarily hit it for a six is that uh, it's it's a change it's a change in behavior and and there's a cost to that even if it's easier and I think with the watch it will be like the watch is going to be a really big deal right because for a few, one it's going to work on with multiple phones not just iPhone sixes but two you don't actually have to get anything out of your pocket then like mm. you you just like you you literally just your hands are already there. And you put the things on the counter, and what if you put things on the counter and you pay all at the same time? Like that's pretty amazing. Um, but but still, the fact remains, it's a change in behavior. And as we discussed ad nauseum in our iPhone thing, for example, um, my position, one of my big arguments why I don't think it's a big deal about the 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 having the phone with you is that's not for most people that's not a change of behavior. The phone's already with you. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a big deal if you have to ask someone to change the way they do something. 
um, especially something that's you know ingrained and habitual. And Apple Pay, as easy as it is, still requires a change in behavior. And as long as it's not accepted everywhere, it 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 also incurs a cognitive load because you have to decide if you should use Apple Pay or not. And there's also a social cost because you have to act, are you going to ask the cashier, can do you accept this and deal with kind of like the awkwardness there? Like there's all these costs that are not at all financial, but are very real that are working against Apple Pay acceptance as great as it might be. You came into this as a real Apple Pay bull. I, am I? Would I be correct in characterizing what you're saying now as a little bit more bearish than where you started out? Oh uh, no! So it, bull and bearish is all is all relative. I, I, Absolutely. I, I, I would say I'm very I'm very cognizant of the challenges that Apple faces. I suspect they're greater than most um, you know big Apple fans suspect. However, relative to where I was at a week ago before this whole MCX brouhaha and kind of the details that have emerged, I'm more bullish than I was previously. And again, the big reason is really about that opt-in, opt-out thing. I think that Apple Pay is going to be available uh, in many more places in lots of the long tail than Mm. we realize now. And the other advantage kind of from that cognitive dissonance sort of perspective Mm -hmm. is that if it's only the big guys – um, yes, everyone still will shop at probably some of them, but they will they will be aware of what they are, mm. right? It's easy to remember that uh, CVS doesn't accept it, whereas it's harder to to balance this coffee shop does, but that one doesn't versus this flower shop versus this chocolatier or whatever it might be. I've, I, apparently, I'm hungry. Yeah, no, um, no, no. <laughs> It makes sense. I the I wonder whether it's actually going to change. Like, I don't think so. You don't think it would change consumer behavior, other than the the like hardcore Apple nuts who are like, I've got to use Apple Pay. Like, uh, do you? I don't think it would change people's purchasing behavior. I mean, maybe if they're CVS and. Walgreens next to each other. You know, on balance right now, given the events of the last week, I would actually walk into Walgreens, but I I also recognize that I'm probably not, uh, quote unquote, the average person. This is super interesting, I think. And this gets to your thing about the banks. So uh, I agree with you that, well, well, I'll leave it to you to explain why the banks are being short-sighted, but I can understand why the banks are moving quickly. Um, Reason number one is there's a ton of value in being the default card in Apple Pay. Like it's actually kind of a pain to change, whereas it, the the transaction's so easy. Like whichever card is there first is the one I had not thought of that, and that of- is that is brilliant. I hadn't thought of that, and that's the default option argument you made earlier. That's so obvious. That's why they're all tripping over themselves to sign up. They want to be the first option in people's wallets. Yeah, a reader called Richard actually sent that in to me. Like in the context of Wells Fargo, you know, Wells Fargo is actually paying you to use Apple Pay. Like they'll give you 20 bucks to make a purchase using Apple Pay. And oh, if, wow. If, if you make a purchase, it means that you had to have set it as your default card. So it's like back in the day of like PayPal paying you to sign up. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Richard, thank you for sharing that. That is that, yes, that blew my mind. It's so obvious. Right. So that's number one. Number two from the banking perspective is if I want to use Apple Pay, um, it, it's hard for me to punish any one retailer to your point because the the choice like it's hard to like at the end of the day if there's a CVS around the corner and a Walgreens is a mile away I'm gonna go to the CVS because uh-huh. I don't go to a pharmacy enough to like fundamentally change my daily life like right. convenience is going to trump 
On the other hand, if my bank does not support Apple Pay, that impacts every single transaction I make every day all the time. So it's interference with my life is constant. And so I'm I, I'm going to be much more, I will punish my bank by going to another bank because it doesn't support Apple Pay. Whereas a retailer, it's much more difficult to punish because it's just not, it's not enough a part of the fabric of my life. You made a, you made the case for, you made a great case for the banks and why they're being short-sighted. You're on a roll. Why don't you make the case here? Well, the, the, the short-sightedness problem is that they're being, they're being marginalized. Mm -hmm. I mean, like the, the transaction from a user perspective is happening between uh, your Apple device and the merchant. And yes, the banks are still there and yes, they're still making their money. And yes, like everything is, is, is fine. And oh, the other reason why they're they're you know, why Visa and MasterCard are on board with it enthusiastically is like, there's all these other payment options that the whole point is to get rid of them. And whereas Apple is saying, we'll, we'll be your friend, we'll help you. And, and so the, it's like a lifeline almost, right? The problem is it's a lifeline that entails Apple completely obscuring them from the customer. And over the long run, if you're not an essential part of that transaction, what if in the very long run, Apple wanted to switch yeah. you out for something else? Then you're, you're screwed. I, that's exactly where I was going with this. I mean, there's been a lot of talk of Facebook reaching out to publishers and being their friends. And I was, I was just like, well, that sounds like the old embrace and extend strategy that Microsoft used to. <laughs> no, it's, it's exactly, it, I mean, I wrote the article yesterday, which we haven't really talked about, but about the, um, uh, like the, the middle and how there's no value in the, like the internet by removing friction removes all the value from the middleman. And, uh, and, and you see that, that that's, I used it to talk about publishing, but actually that's the defining characteristic of all this sort of stuff. And mm -hmm. what Apple Pay is doing is it's marginalizing the middleman. They're still there mm -hmm. they're still making money, but in the long run, they're in a terrible strategic position. Um, just like, for example, this is why AT&T is locking the Apple SIM to AT&T's network. Like they're trying to stave off their inevitable future of being just a dumb pipe that's, that's switched back and forth for whatever has the best deal. If you, if you, have no value and no brand and no visibility to the customer, the only thing you can compete on is, is price. And that's a terrible business to be in no matter the industry. It sure is. <laughs> it sure is. No, that was a great article. We should link to that one too. I mean, I'm sure most people have read it, but I very enjoyed your, uh, was it the smiley face? Yes, the smiling face. The smiling face, except the, the you don't want to be the bottom part of the lip. If you're at the bottom of the smiley face, it's it's actually it's a problem. It's sad. Yeah, yes. that's right. It's unhappy being at the bottom I, of the smiley. I totally had like a terrible pun like written for the conclusion, <laughs> but uh, I smartly deleted it. I am very glad you did that too. <laughs> uh, I, I had a bad pun at the end of the conclusion once and it lived for like a day and I just grew so ashamed of it. I actually went back. Oh, you went back and, and you went back and did a little <laughs> No, no, not on this editing. one, but yeah, on, on another article. Yeah. Um, but... Puns always sound better. I mean, I, I am a dad. It, it was a dad joke. Um, just be, be better for private consumption. Uh, yeah. Are you going to share it with people listening? Given it's not going to be written down. I can't. I can't remember it now. I mean, it was. It was like three in the morning. It was something. It was something about turning a smile into a frown, or for, turn that frown upside down. Something <laughs> yeah. terrible like that. <laughs> Very good. Hmm. So yeah. So in the long run, I mean, I don't think this is great for the banks, but I mean, I. 
This is something that people don't understand. People people think, oh, Apple's so mean and they're mean to people. Uh, I'm sorry, but negotiate. Yeah, okay, there's there's a baby on the margins. You get something by being friendly with someone you're negotiating with. At mm-hmm. the end of the day, if someone gives you a better deal because you're nice to them, they're a terrible business person. Mm-hmm. Like negotiation is all about leverage. And, and Apple has an exquisite understanding of leverage. And we see this again and again, what they're doing to the banks is exactly what they did to the carriers. Like they went in the carriers, they started with AT&T. Why they start with AT&T? They went to Verizon, but Verizon was in a very strong position and didn't want to give in their demands. AT&T was weak. They were suffering that inferior cell network. So they were in for them, the benefits of giving in to Apple for the iPhone outweighed the costs of the AT&T itself being marginalized and not controlling the software and services and all that sort of stuff. Leverage. Then yeah. what happened? People changed carriers to get the iPhone. In the history of <laughs> cell phones, that had never happened. People didn't do that. And Verizon bled customers and they bled customers. And even better examples, Japan, NTT Docomo was dominant and they just bled customers like you would not believe for years until they had no choice. Verizon came back and they got the iPhone. They got the iPhone on the exact same terms that Apple offered them five years previously. They should have just accepted it in the first place. They should have, but that's hard to do. And it's it's hard to play that out. And it's yeah. hard. It's hard to play something out when the outcome is bad for you. Yeah, this is I, that's interesting to me because that's the exact same thinking that causes companies to get disrupted. It does because you can't it, it, the because there's always the chance it doesn't happen. And, and and the other thing is this is where like shareholder pressure is very much a real thing. Like you can't you can't say that, oh, we're going to make what seems to be a bad deal for us because if we don't, it's going to be worse down the line Like when there's no like visible proof of that happening, right? Once yeah. once Entity Docomo is, has lost millions and millions of customers, like everyone is cheering when they accept Apple's terms. <laughs> Had they accepted Apple's terms five years previously, everyone would have been chiding them. And even though... From a long-term perspective, they would have ultimately been in better shape. That's that's so fascinating. It's it's this thing on counterfactuals and how people are when when in that situation, people are unable to imagine a future that's different from the past, and well, that's no, totally. And it's it's very it's it, and this is why I can be very sympathetic to CEOs in this position because the issue is not is not not knowing. It's not even not having will. It's that, like, uh, what is the CEO going to do? Is he going to get up on his soapbox and say, yeah. Uh, yeah, we need to make a bad deal for us today because we'll be really f***ed down the road if we don't. Like, yeah, it, yeah, all the options are terrible. And, and trying to, it's almost better to get screwed worse by the status quo yes. than screwed less by making an active decision. Exactly. Exactly. That's the way the way incentives work for public companies in particular is exactly that. There, no one was fired for buying IBM. The new the new version of that is no one was fired for being screwed by the status quo. Mm, that's mm. so. This is now. This is like you, so. You see this with with the banks, right? And why are they doing this? They're doing this because, to their credit, in a lot of ways, the alternative is worse. The alternative is something that is non-credit card specific gets traction or that, you know, like 
it, it makes sense. It makes sense what they're doing. It's Apple's playing them off against each other. They know that because the, the, because if your bank doesn't support Apple, yeah. Apple pay, it, it impacts your daily life constantly. You will get a new bank and competition is working here. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, that's the thing about being in the middle, the smiley face. What makes the middle so unattractive is that it's the place of the most intense competition. You, you know what? You've changed my mind. I, I, was, I was started off saying the, like, the bank shouldn't have been so fast to sign up. But just that argument we made about NTT Docomo, like, that they should have signed up way back at the start, even though the, the terms weren't great. And the banks are not making that mistake. So uh, it, 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 between the way you described it just then and that insight that um, Richard had around you want to be top of wallet, I th- they're actually being a lot smarter than I thought they'd be. Yeah, so the net of our podcast is we, uh, we're coming out with a lot of respect for both the retail CEOs and for banks. Yes, and we came in with a lot less of it, which is interesting. Well, in the... What's interesting though from the retail thing is, is the uh, I the question for the retailers, and this is why, to your point, it's understandable what they're doing is um, how much leverage will Apple ultimately have over them? And from day one, I, I've actually, even though you made the data argument, um, as you know, I've been saying the same thing since before Apple Pay launched mm-hmm. that retailers are going to be the hardest nut to crack here because Apple has the least mm-hmm. leverage has the least leverage over them. Um, because Apple's not giving the retailers anything, and so actually before before the before the Apple Pay event started, I actually predicted that um, Apple would when that Apple would derive a cut from the banks because of their leverage, because they increased fraud protection, mm-hmm. and that they would hand that to the retailers uh, to to incentivize them to use Apple Pay. Apple Pay becomes, right now for a retailer, they pay the same amount of fees if you pay with Apple Pay or if you pay with um, a regular credit card. And Apple's capturing like 0.15% or 0.015%, some minuscule, some small number. Um, So the question is, uh, I thought that Apple was going to take that percentage and give it to the merchants to so now yes Apple Pay you lose access to data, um, but you get faster transactions you and you pay less credit card fees. Mm. Um, it's interesting that they that they haven't. It's one of those things where it's a short term versus long term decision. In that if Apple gives that up now, like they've given it up forever, and that means that Apple Pay will never be a money maker in its own right. It will only ever exist to to promote Apple lock-in. Um, whereas if they win, if they win now, then they will forever have this very nice little income stream on the side that, you know, who knows could grow to be something significant in the long run. And so they're, they're clearly making a bet here, at least right now on the long term that they can, that they can make more money. But, uh, it's making it less likely that they win, but if they win, they'll win much more. Payments in general is so interesting. The Apple Pay thing is so interesting. I think, um, I I kind of think actually this last week has been a really great week for Apple Pay. Um, mm. I think Apple Pay is in a fundamental not just be not it's not just the revelation that the opt-in versus opt-out thing, which I think is huge. I think it's such a big deal mm. in conjunction with this October 2015 deadline. It's a massive deal. But I think it's a independent of that. 
I think it's been a good week for Apple Pay. And the reason is, uh, one, just from a pure kind of like publicity perspective, like, you know, like the aware, like there's been stories in the New York Times and the USA Today, like just about what's happening. And so there's, there's awareness, like no publicity is bad publicity, um, which is not true, but that in that case, it applies to Apple Pay. Definitely. Um, Number two, uh, I don't know if you caught this, but uh, MCX got hacked yesterday. Yeah, emails, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, well, can you believe that? I mean, it's basically the best advertisement Apple could have created for Apple Pay. So um, it's it's top of mind already. And now this happens and Apple Pay can toot their, their security horn. And the other thing is this is going to pay dividends from a publicity standpoint for, for months to come. Every single time an MCX retailer changes their stance on Apple Pay. And so just to back up, the reason why Probably the reason why CVS turned it off is because uh, there's reports that there's significant fines for ex- for not being exclusive there's, to MCX. There's debate about that, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the MCX. If you read the statements that MCX made today, they said uh-huh. no, but they were very carefully parsed. Uh-huh. Um, and Got it. again, I've talked to someone who who is in a position where to likely know, and he's very strenuously assured me that that there was a lot of duplicitousness going on today, that yeah. there, there is a very big financial incentive to not accept Apple Pay. Not just a data perspective, but an, a financial... Per, I could uh, well believe that. It fits with what this organization feels like. Yeah. If it, well, that's the thing with this organization. Like, how, if you, this, I'm going to be back on my stupid retailer. How stupid can you be as a retailer to cash you out with Walmart? <laughs> that's a really good point. I mean, oh, no, is it just put aside, put aside, not? Put, put, no, this is Walmart driven. It's like the Walmart guy is basically the CEO. Uh, um, like Walmart's mission in life is to destroy the value of every other retailer in the world. Like it's that's, like that's what they do. Physical version of Amazon. <laughs> yeah. No, Amazon and Walmart are very similar in many, in many, in many ways. Yeah. Um, and, and, <laughs> Even if Walmart can spin this great story, why it benefits you, just the very inclusion of Walmart should send, would, for me as a CEO, would send shivers down my spine. I mean, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, I, I suspect, I, I mean, whenever they get out of the contracts or if they get loosened or whatever, what's going to be interesting for Apple Pay is every time, this, like, what's going to happen the day CVS turns back on NFC? There's going to be news stories galore. And that's going to increase the pressure on everyone else. What happens when Right Aid turns it on? What happens when all these other retailers, when and if they start to accept it, uh, it's going to be a bonanza. It's going to be this cycle all over again. Like Apple, yeah. there's all these seeds I think that have been planted here. Um, like this, this. Whereas had this not happened, uh, Apple Pay, it, it just would have all this battle. It still would have happened for all the reasons you articulated. I think the data thing is very compelling. Um, but it would have happened under the surface and with anyone not really going it's on. The only thing that people would have realized is that Apple Pay is very inconsistent in its in its usability. And and that would have probably played more into the MCX. Like maybe this isn't such a great camp than it, what the no, press it, that's happening right now. No, it would have played into the status quo, into yeah. the advantage of the status quo. And the status quo is better for retailers from a from this from this perspective. The, the other thing that's the other angle that's really interesting. Um is if you think about security and fraud, um, and, you know, obviously Target's been and the Home Depot and the, there's been all these like massive, massive ah, fraud cases. Yeah. 
And uh, when you say fraud, you mean hacking, right? Sorry, I mean hacking. Yeah, like stealing information. What, yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting. This is you would think this would be in favor of Apple Pay, and there's an angle in which it is because Apple Pay is absolutely more secure. Um, something I've despaired about. I think I don't think everyone was on the site. It's only in the daily update. The thing I've despaired about with these with these breaches is that the problem with securing yourself as a company against a breach is that it's very expensive. It's very hard to do. And there is no return on investment by definition. Like, because to be breached is a sin of omission, not one of commission. And what I mean is like, it's not like you did something wrong. It's that you didn't do something right. I, I feel like the way from a regulatory perspective to deal with circumstances like that is like, Mr. CEO, if this happens to you, there is this fine or these consequences. The problem then becomes then nobody wants to report it happens and, you know, da, 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 da. Yeah, no, there's, there's all kinds of problems here. And, and, the, and, you know, what will be interesting here, <laughs> I mean, you hate to say it, but probably the best thing that could happen for Apple Pay right now today is for CVS to get hacked. Um, because if CVS... Yeah, it still wouldn't change them though, because uh, I mean, you're sitting in the perspective of the shoes of the CEO of CVS. You'd rather have all this data about customers that's valuable that someone wants to hack. I mean, because because what you're describing is like, well, CVS shouldn't have the data, so they're so scared about getting hacked that they don't have the data. Well, let's just not c- collect the data at all. They don't need Apple Pay to do that. They just like. They collect the payments from Visa or MasterCard or whoever, the banks, the merchants, whatever, and then they just wipe the files. They want the data. So I, I'm not I'm not necessarily sure that I agree with that statement. Well, the um to what extent should Apple uh work to incorporate these loyalty programs into Apple Pay? That's so a that, good question. So that when That's, you make a if the customer opts in, if you make a payment at CVS, it passes along all your information, and they can tie that to your profile and all that. Well, I th- I think I mean, if you want to make this thing ubiquitous and you actually want to get the merchants on side, that would make sense from Apple's perspective. If if consumers want to opt into one of these programs, I mean, isn't it like this on the um, on the magazine store or whatever they call it, where the magazine creators wanted to get data about iTunes subscribers so they could pass it along to advertisers. So now when you subscribe or buy a magazine, you get this little thing. Do you want to let XYZ magazine know your basic demographic data, da-da-da? You can click yes or no. I mean, in terms of if Apple's goal is ubiquity to get this thing everywhere, then the the area, the, the group that they need to work on the most is the merchants. And having that built into Apple Pay would actually go quite a long way to getting the merchants on side. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think as long as it's opt-in, um, yes. like, I, 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 the iTunes model with the magazines is the exact angle I was thinking about as well. And I, I, you have to assume that's that's coming. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it'll, it's interesting, though. Because it, it, you know, it, Apple's really tooting their horn about privacy these days. And, you know... Yay, I'm glad somebody is. Well, but the more they do that, the more it makes this, even if it is opt-in, feel like a bit of a come down, right? That's the danger of kind of staking yourself out to to this sort of position. 
If I mean, I, I disagree. I feel like it's actually starting to recognize the value of my personal data. And if I want to give that up in return for something, I can make an active decision to do so. But the default is that we're not going to sell we're not going to sell you out to anybody. If you choose to do that because the merchant's giving you all this value for giving uh, them your data, then go for it. We'll enable it. But the default is no, and then it becomes your choice. Yeah, we'll be. I, I think. I mean, I, I think that's very reasonable, and I suspect that's what that's what's going to happen. Um, I think what what all that's happening right now is um, one. I tend to. I tend to believe that the I, I suspect the MCX exclusivity provision is real and that it is significant. Um, today's reports, notwithstanding, again, I, mm. if if I'm convinced otherwise, I as is well documented, I will change my mind. Um, and I think I suspect right now what Apple is focused on is increasing their leverage. Um, the October thing will help the the, the, the terminal implementation. The uh, all this public pressure helps. Um, more iPhone six in the wild helps. Uh, mm. The watch being out there helps, and they have two big carrots that they can use in this negotiation, which is uh, implementing data or implementing loyalty programs into Apple Pay, mm. and number two is that percentage that they drive that they got from the banks. Um, I, I think that's. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's on the table at some point, particularly for Walmart. Um, which you have things can be the last to go, but then again, you know, they're it, money's money. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. If I was mm, my natural inclination is, and I'm maybe shooting a little bit from the hip here, and I, I don't know. We both get one swear word, but if I was Apple, I'd say Fuck Walmart. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's not. It's probably not really their target demographic. Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I can hear your family in the background, and I've started swearing, so maybe it's time to wrap it up. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a topic that I feel. I mean, it. it, it the reason why the, some people are tired on Twitter, but the reason why I love it and it's so interesting is because the this is like this is how this is how to think about like strategy and how to think about mm. how things work. It's you you have to think about leverage. You have to think about where where it manifests itself, how you increase it, how you decrease it, and there's so much of that at play here in this specific case. It's just it's. It's like you can almost see like the the whole diagram on a whiteboard yeah. of like where all the pressure is. You know, it's yeah. like it's like building a bridge. Like where's the pressure points and where's their weaknesses and strengths? And and you and if you build up strength here, you're weakening yourself here and stuff like that. It's it's totally. super fascinating. It is. I I love it because you have to put yourself in the shoes of every one of the actors to figure out what makes sense, and that's why it's so much fun for me. Oh, totally. All right. Very good. Well, thank I you. Give give my regards to uh, to your family. I and the same to you as always, of course. Cool. Um, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. See you, mate. Later.